0: Hi there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up, then making things happen. I talk to a different creative professional every week, and this week I sit down with Jeremy Pideswa. He is a filmmaker and a television director who's probably directed... All of your favorite shows. Uh, More about him in a bit. First, a little housekeeping. Um, If you like this podcast, maybe you're listening for the first time, I really hope you subscribe on iTunes. If you feel like writing a review, reviews really help people find it and help it grow. Um, You can also go to dennisanyone.net. And when you're there, you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter. You can leave a little shekel in the tip jar. Um, It helps me keep the podcast free. You can see pictures that accompany some of the podcasts. And there's lots of fun stuff to do there on DennisAnyone.net. Oh, there's an audience poll there, too. If you take it, it'll help me get advertisers. And I'm really hopeful that some big things are coming to the podcast in 2015. Um, So now on to Jeremy. He has made the films Eclipse, uh, Fugitive Pieces, and the Five Senses, which won the Genie Award in Canada, where he's from, which is like the Oscar there. Um, he's also directed a slew of television shows and probably all your favorites. Here's just a sampling of the episode, episodic TV he's directed. Uh, Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, Tyrant, Walking Dead, Nip Tuck, Newsroom, Homeland, True Blood, The Borgias, The Tudors, Pacific, The Pacific, Weeds, Dexter, The Book of Daniel, Elward, Queer as Folk, Wonderfalls, and the list goes on and on. So I talked to him a lot about what it's like to direct TV shows. So um, I met him originally in Toronto through my friend Warren Dunford, who I believe might be listening to this podcast. Um, And this was probably like 2002 maybe, and um, we stayed friends and it's been amazing to watch him grow and and continue to work on big show after big show after big show. So, enjoy Jeremy Pideswa. All right, I am here in the beautiful... Is this considered Los Feliz or Silver Lake? Silver Lake. Silver Lake home of uh, filmmaker and television director Jeremy Pideswa. Hello. Hello. It's First of all, I love your view. Thank I you. love the vibe of this home. Mm-hmm. And oh. it's just awesome. I feel like... Nice. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm in a cool mood. You know what? It's a house where they would have like a swingers party.
1: Uh, you know what? I think they did have swinger parties here before we got here. Right? There was a couple who lived here before and they were actually kind of famous for their hot tub parties.
0: Really? Yes. That's, it has yes, that feeling, sure. a little eating Raul kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's very calm now. We're very yeah. bourgeois. Right, right, right. Now it's you and your partner, Peter. Yes. Are you married? No, we are not married. Okay, we're that's as good cool. as married though. I, gay people have to ask that now. Well,
1: straight people seem to have to ask that
0: <laughs> Exactly.
1: <laughs> gay yeah. people seem to be a little bit more open on that subject. Right. Gay people are like, you know, of course you're together. You must be married. or you're right. planning Right. They
0: assume married. something. But now, yeah. like, yeah, I just know, like, I, as a writer, when I'd write a profile, it would be their partner, their boyfriend. Their, now it's like, oh, I got to make sure I get that right, you know. Yeah. Um, so you have made films of your own, mm-hmm. wrote, written and directed films like Five Senses, Fugitive Pieces. And then you've gone on to direct television shows and you've directed every heavy hitter show I can think of. Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, Walking Dead, Nip Tuck, um, Newsroom, Homeland, True Blood, the, the Bourgeois. Did I say that right? The Bourgeois. Yeah. Um, the The Tudors. What if the Tudors and the Borgias should play um, Family Feud? I think that'd be great. That would be awesome. I think the Bourgeois would win. Do you think the Bourgeois <laughs> would win if they played Family yeah, Feud? Yeah, totally. Um, you worked on Weeds. Uh, Dexter, the Pacific, the miniseries, you mm-hmm. do all of these amazing shows. Yeah. A lot of good ones. What was your last, we're coming to the end of 2014. What, what were the most recent shows that you worked on?
1: Uh, the most recent would have been, um, Game of Thrones. Most wow. Recently. Uh, Tyrant, Boardwalk Empire, American Horror Story, uh, Newsroom last season. Yeah.
0: Um, and that was all it like would that. have been in this year. Uh, the last year and a half. As an as an as an episodic director, you, how long is your stint? Say you're going to do an episode of the newsroom. Is that three weeks? Mm. Is it a month? Is it two weeks? Uh, minimally,
1: it's about five or six weeks because you have to prep, shoot, and edit. So right. It's the all whole three thing. things, it's like at least six weeks. Uh, and then with like Game of Thrones, I'm doing two episodes, and that right. was like four months.
0: Right. Right so on.
1: Yeah. Awesome. That's kind of like the most expensive schedule.
0: How long did you do Game of Thrones for? I'm sorry. Uh, four months. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how many can you do in a year? It just depends on how long, how, how long you're there.
1: Yeah, and how much energy you have, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> how crazy you want to make yourself. But um, yeah, I could do maybe like six or seven episodes a year or something like that.
0: Wow. Game of Thrones, let's talk about that. I don't watch the show regularly. You should. I know. People love it. (laughs) It rocks, man. It (laughs) rocks. Were you a fan before you got the gig?
1: I was a big fan. It's a gorgeous show. And it's really smart and interesting and has an amazing cast. And there's nothing like it on TV. I mean, it's just so expansive and big and epic and has all these different worlds. So from a filmmaking point of view, it's very exciting. From a fan point of view, it's exciting. So, yeah, I mean, I was a fan and I I really wanted to do it. In fact, I was going to do it a couple of years ago. I was, I was booked on it and uh, I started to prep it. And then unfortunately I had an illness in my family and I had to leave the show, but it was something, it was like one of my big regrets actually, that i never got to do the show until it came around again this year and I got to do it again. There you go.
0: That's the lesson. Just calm (laughs) down. (laughs) Things might come back around. Yeah, they do usually. Is it when there's a show that has such a rabid fan base where every detail is analyzed and everything is on the web and everything, does it, does it put more pressure on you as a director?
1: I don't really think about that. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting to know that that exists, but when you're directing, you're just directing, and you're just dealing with the people in front of you and the situations that you're in, and you don't think about any of that. The only time I'm really aware of it sometimes is, is when the show airs, uh, and I, I normally don't ever do this, but once in a while I will actually, like, watch it live and, like, see what's happening on Twitter when the show's airing. Yeah. I did that with American Horror Story because it's such an interesting, of
0: course. fun,
1: interactive kind Which of show. Which season did you do? I did uh, two and three. So I did so, Asylum and Coven.
0: Oh, Asylum and Coven. Okay. Yeah. And
1: I, I would have done Freak Show this year except Game of Thrones Conflicted. Of course. So it's hard. It. But um, But shows like that that really have, like, amazing fan bases, That that was an interesting thing to watch. And actually Homeland, I did too. When I did Homeland, I watched that live because I had a big story point in mind, which yeah. was Abu Nazir getting killed was a big episode.
0: Wow. Um,
1: the big bad guy. Of course. And uh, so I was really curious to see how the audience was going to react as that was playing. And that was really fun to watch too.
0: And they all were like, oh my God, OMG. All a that. lot of oh
1: my gods, yeah.
0: <laughs> a lot of OMGs. Was there anything yeah. that they posted uh, uh, when you were following like that that surprised you or like, oh, I didn't think they would see it that way or, oh good, they got it. Um,
1: I think with American Horror Story, it was just like how excited everybody was by everything. Yeah. Like there was one thing in my episode, I did this thing in, um, Coven where there's, was, it was basically like a, a zombie chainsaw massacre. Right. <laughs> it was this really crazy, really violent, you know, funny, scary kind of scene. And, you know, it could have gone either way. Like it could have just been like total camp and horrible, or it could have been like, you know, amazing. Anyway, it, it, thankfully it was like more on the side of amazing and people just loved it. Like the fans just went fucking crazy. So it was fun, really fun to read like what people were were typing away as they were watching it, and they're so immediate in their responses. It's just like they're right, right on top of it, every second, every plot turn, every funny line, right? Every Jessica Lang, great Bomo, like everything. Yeah. They're like on top of and they love it.
0: Did you so, tweet to them? Did you no? Respond, you just observed. Uh, yeah, I'm not really like a.
1: Twitter person, so I, I don't even know how to tweet people. I know. I, I'm fine. so outside of it. I, for me, yeah. it was like, my, uh, Peter, my partner, had yeah. to actually like get me onto it to show me how to do it as we were doing it.
0: There you go. You, you yeah. talk about live tweeting. You learned about it as you were doing it. Pretty much. Um, you talk about a scene where it could go either way. Yeah. As a director, you probably know, okay, you read the script, you're like, this is one of those scenes. Mm. How do you make sure it goes the way you want it to go? What are the elements? What makes something campy?
1: Well, I think well, with American Horror Story, that rides that line yes. all the time. But you, you, you have to really commit to This is one thing I learned from Ryan Murphy. I, I did Nip Tuck a long time ago. Right. And there was one thing in one of the episodes that I did that was just, like, so crazy. And I was like, really? Like, seriously? Like, we're we really going to go there? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and he was basically saying, like, you just have to commit to the material it. and the audience will go with you. And that was one of the reasons why they love Nip Tuck and why they love American Horror Story. It's like, almost like the crazier it gets, the more excited everybody is. And... Everybody involved really commits to the craziness of it. Like, it, nobody's like thinking, oh my God, I'm doing this ridiculous thing. How am I ever going to blah, blah, blah? Yeah. They just are like, okay, great. This I'm is all it. in. I'm, I'm all in. It's exciting. It's fun. Let's just go for it. And you go for it, and it works. And that's the crazy thing. Like, it works, and it doesn't work in a sort of like laughing at it kind of way. It works in like laughing with you kind of way. You know, the audience is just kind of with it. They're enjoying it. And I mean, look at Jessica Lang, like what she does on the show, or like yeah. any of the great actors, Sarah Paulson, all these people. They're doing really you know, challenging material, like stuff that could really go any way. But they're so committed to the performances and so committed to those characters that it just works. Yeah. And you sort of enter that world, you buy it, you accept it at face value, and you have a lot of fun with it. So, it's Do great. you remember
0: what the thing was on NipTuck that you... Did? Yes, I do. Oh. <laughs> but we don't need to discuss it. <laughs>
1: there were two things, actually, but... Um, no, I don't. But want to they do that. turned out good, though. They turned no, out they turned went for They were it, it turned out great, you know. And you know, even even I thought it turned out much better than I expected originally going into it.
0: When you go from a, one show to another, and the tones are different, is it sometimes an adjustment to be like, oh, we're not an American horror store anymore? Just in terms of that like vibe that you were talking about. Um, I think there's
1: no adjustment in my head in terms of like. You know, what am I, What kind of show am I in now? Because, yeah. you know, the shows are so well established and you're, you're basically just invited to come in and work with the vernacular of the show and work with the tone of the show. And, you know, that's one thing that you become quite adept at, you know, the more you do it is just kind of like letting the DNA of the show inhabit you. You kind of like get into that and you're just like, OK, now I'm thinking like an American horror story person, like I'm in that world. Right. And this is the way we use the camera. This is the kind of performance level. This is, you know, this is how narrative is treated. It's very specific to that show. Um, but as long as you can kind of like get into that DNA and, and enjoy it and, uh, appreciate it, respect it, and then also hopefully elevate it somehow, like you bring a twist to it or bring something fresh to it. They love that. Yeah. Cause so. you
0: have, There are probably great directors that can't do what you do because they can't make those adjustments and, and get up to speed in the different shows.
1: Yeah. I think it does demand a certain kind of versatility, but also an ability to commit, you know, as I was saying before, it's like you you have to be able to not just, you know, ape a style, but actually kind of love it, you know, and yeah. get into it and really appreciate it. And, and, you know, for me, it's really about doing a really good version of something yeah. that already exists. Right. So what I, what I hopefully bring to it is a kind of commitment to making it, you know, the best version of that thing it can possibly be. Right. And that's what I always try to do.
0: How do you balance being true to what's established and not rocking the boat with, putting your own creative stamp on something, finding your little Jeremyisms.
1: I think the trick is to, you know, to kind of respect what already has come before you and, uh, you know, try to bring little things that uh, make it come alive in a new way. And that's what they want from you. They don't want you to just kind of slavishly do exactly what's been done before. They do want you to kind of um, stretch the boundaries a little bit. But I think you also have to know the limits of it. You can't completely break it. Um, I remember I was working on a show once a long time ago, and there was a new director coming in who had never – actually hadn't done, I think, hardly any TV before. Right. And this director said, you know, I said, how's it going? And and, uh, this director said to me, uh, well, you know, it's going okay, but, you know, I don't really, like, love the style of the show, so I think I'm going to, like, really kind of bust it out. I'm going to, you know, do things different. And I was like, oh, my God, she's really going to have a hard time. Right. (laughs) Because – you can't just, you know, tear it apart. Right. And you also have to like it. Like, to me, if I don't get into an aesthetic of a show, I won't do it. Like, if it's not in my bag, if I feel like this is not really me or aesthetically it doesn't, you know, kind of appeal to me, I won't do it. Because I know I won't do a good job. You know, other people will do a good job on that show, but it won't be me.
0: I get that, even as yeah. a writer. Now, you talked about wanting Game of Thrones and it went away and then it came back. Is there a show that you've always wanted to do that you haven't gotten your crack at yet?
1: Um... I think probably like Mad Men was one well, of I was those, was suggest the shows that got away, and everybody thinks I've done it because I've done almost everything. Yeah, now. and people think, well, surely you've done Mad Men. I was like, no, right. oh, I haven't actually. And it was one of those things where I'm—I think it might have happened early in the show's, uh, you know, history, but um, it, schedule-wise or whatever, it, it didn't work out, and then the opportunity never really arose again. And I was so busy with—I ended up becoming super busy with, you know, HBO and Showtime almost exclusively that. You know, it didn't, I wasn't really doing much AMC stuff that started to happen later. But at the time I was kind of out of that loop a little bit. And so I, I kind of regret that I didn't more actively make a play for it. You right. Know? Um, that's sort of the one that got away for me. Cause I think that would have been a really fun show to do.
0: I do love that show. Yeah. It would have been other. great. Mm-hmm. And your house has a bit of a Mad Men vibe to it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, Don Draper really would probably bang somebody <laughs> silly on this table. <laughs> Um, now you've made your own films, yes. a number of them, including Five Senses and Fugitive Pieces, both of which I loved. Now Five Senses won the Canadian Oscar the year that it came out, right? The Genie.
1: Yes, it won a Genie.
0: What's what are the <laughs> Genies like?
1: Uh, the Genies are a kind of uh, local, homegrown version of the Oscars, and every country has them. You know, the right. Aus- Australia has their own version, and France has the, their own version. You know, everybody's got their own you know domestic of award show. So, you know, they're quite meaningful in the country that you're from, the the, the genies. Uh, and where for, they,
0: are they in Toronto? Are they in Vancouver? Where do they have uh, They them? actually kind of move them around because it's a national thing. So sure.
1: sometimes it's Vancouver, usually Toronto.
0: Nice. Yeah. And what was that night like? It
1: was fun. I was really proud of that movie. And it really... It was that, a beautiful movie. Thank you. It was a movie with Mary Louise Parker, and she was so amazing in it. And a lot of my friends were in it, and a lot of my friends helped me make it. And it was really one of those, like, passion projects. It was very personal. I wrote it. It was an original script. Um... And, you know, we made it like on our wing and a prayer and, you know, the way you do. And it was just, uh, it was very satisfying that the movie was received so well. And it went to the can actually was in director's fortnight and it was, you know, it, it was a little bit of a deal. And actually that movie directly led to me doing, you know, HBO work that, that movie directly led to six feet under, which was kind of my first big break.
0: Was that your first show? And how did that happen?
1: Um, well, that, uh, you know, already in my mind is sort of a legendary story, which is Alan Poole, who's a producer of Six Feet Under, who I didn't right. really know at the time, um, had been on the Sundance, uh, the Sundance director's lab, writer's lab um, advisory committee. Right. And he had, I had submitted uh, that script for the five senses to the lab and uh, he had read it not knowing who I was and Liked it and I recommended it to the lab, and I ended up getting accepted. I went to the lab, it was a great experience. Armistead Maupin was one of my mentors on the oh project. Oh
0: my God. it was
1: really like a dream! It was so great. And then I ended up making the movie very shortly after. And then the movie was in Toronto and Canada, they like did really well. And,
0: and, and it won the Genie that's and it amazing! Won a genie and
1: all those things. And then, um, and then I ran into Alan Poole at the Toronto Film Festival, and he was very happy for the success of the film. Then he told me that he had been. He had been one of the people who recommended it to the lab, and um, so
0: you, he, you you didn't interact with him no, at the Sundance lab. No, he, wasn't he at was he was just lab. somebody that read it. Yeah, he right. just
1: did some volunteer you know, right. reading for right
0: It wasn't an in person thing; it was reading.
1: No, and so but we had a couple of mutual friends, and I think we met through them at the festival. And I think Marcus, who maybe or I can't remember who at, at the time, but um, yeah, so so that was that. We had a very nice you know introduction, and I was very grateful. And then. Not that long after that, I got this call out of the blue about directing the show called Six Feet Under. I didn't even know it was an Alan Poole thing at the time.
0: And it hadn't premiered yet.
1: No, they hadn't even shot it yeah. yet. They, they, were, they did the pilot. Alan Ball had directed the pilot. and that's right. all that existed. And they were going into shooting the first season. And I got a call about directing the show. And I was like, hmm, well, this Where is... Where are you now? Strange. Are you in Toronto or are in you Toronto. here? Yeah. Okay. And, um... And I didn't know anything about the show. And I like went on the internet and I was like sixteen, to HBO. What is this show? And I was like, Alan Ball, who had just done American Beauty. And I was like, oh, okay, course. that's interesting. Didn't know anybody in the cast. It was all unknown people except for Rachel Griffiths was the only person that I'd heard of. Right. And um, I didn't really know much about it, but obviously Alan Ball's involvement was interesting. I don't think I even knew Alan Poole was involved, even then at that point. Right. Um, uh, so anyway, they sent me the pilot and I went uh, to Toronto and I like, Sat down, I like put this, the VHS tape. I think
0: VHS. And
1: I watched it. I was like, holy shit. I almost fell off my chair. It was like the best thing I'd ever seen. I couldn't believe how amazing it was. And it's hard to remember like how revolutionary that show was, but there was nothing else like it at the time. It was the beginning of the TV revolution that we are now living in. Right. And, you know, I saw this and I was just so amazing. I was like, oh my God, I have to do the show. This is so great. And they offered it to me. And then I subsequently found out that, you know, it was Alan Poole who had seen The Five Senses by that and really loved it. And I thought I'd be a good match for the show. And, you know, it was like that. And, you know, it was just uh, the beginning of a So
0: did you call offer. him up and say, thank you very much? Or I've been thanking him every
1: day of my life since then because yeah. that show changed my life. And, um, and Alan has been a really consistent supporter and, you know, working with Alan Ball was so amazing. And it was just... That was really, like, creatively it changed my life, professionally it changed my life. It was very meaningful, you know. And I did the show for five seasons. It was like... Yeah, how many,
0: you did a number of episodes. Quite yeah, a few. I did
1: five episodes.
0: Now, when you get an opening like that, apart from just doing a good job mm-hmm. with your talent and your creativity, how do you not blow it? <laughs> Interpersonally. Do you know what I mean? How do, you, hmm. how do you behave? How do you... Who are you when you go into that situation?
1: Uh, well, to me, I was just like this little Canadian guy. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I had done very... The the one thing I had done before was Queer as Folk. I did an episode of that, which yeah. was um, the rare American show that shot in Canada that right. hired Canadian directors. So I got my first TV break really with that. So, and, and I got Showtime approved, which got me American Cable approved, which is how Alan was able to get me into HBO, because I'd done at least one thing before. right? I think that, you know, that was helpful. But, you know, I was so... I wasn't green. I'd been kicking around for a long time right. and I'd me. done a couple of TV shows in sure. Canada, but like nothing on that level really, to be honest. And, um, so I approached it with a, an extreme amount of modesty, <laughs> right? you know, cause I really just thought like, they're going to blow my cover at some point and they're going to yeah. realize I I'm so green and this is all going to, you know, evaporate. But, you know, I was just so happy and grateful to be there. And it was like my first time shooting in LA and I was still living in Toronto at that point. I came down. I remember being at Sunset Gower Studios and you could see the Hollywood sign from there. And I was like, wow, this is like a dream. And like doing the show was a dream. It was like the greatest cast. It was the greatest script. It was, you know, Jill Soloway wrote a couple scripts that I yeah. directed, you know, like, like all these amazing, Bruce a. Kaplan, who was writing Bruce on Girls. I mean, like all these amazing people were involved in the show and it really was a dream. Like it was still to this day, like one of the best creative experiences I've ever had. And um, so no, so how do you approach it? You just, you just try not to, um, be an asshole and yeah. you, and I, you know, be forever grateful, which I still am to this day and, you know, just hunker down and do the job, you know? So for me, it was like about re- being very well prepared and, you know, being in my Canadian way, nice to, nice to people and, right. you know, and, um, and the cast was so amazing. Like, I was really in awe of everybody on the show. It was really, like... I had not worked with people at that level before.
0: The, the like, powerhouse actors on that show, they yeah. were all so great.
1: Everybody. Like, the writers. The, yeah. The, you know, Alan as a producer is, like, one of the best producers I've ever worked with. Uh, Alan Ball is a genius. Like, it was just, like, doing that show it was just, like, such a gift. I actually really thought it was, like, all downhill from here because it's, like, I can't imagine yeah. anything is better. And, yeah. So, it wasn't hard to to be grateful and to be modest in the, in that company. And I, I guess that's how you, um, you know, how they, how, how they decide they want to bring you back.
0: This is sort of a related question, but what do you think the personal qualities are for somebody in your business that, that lead to success apart from talent?
1: I think, you know, personal relationships are a really big part of it. Like, um, you know, how you treat people and how, and how you approach the work, you know, like I think, you know, diva behavior might be tolerated in some places, but nowhere that I've been. Like, right. I think, like, you know, TV is such a demanding medium. Like, you have to do things really quickly. You have to do them well. Um, you have to, like, come into a place where, like, nobody knows you. A huge crew, a huge cast, and they and you have to get them to respond to you and respect you immediately. So you have to, you know, kind of find a, a, a really nice way in to, like, so that people... Uh, accept you, you know, and, and want to work with you and collaborate with you. And so I think, you know, if you approach people in that sort of spirit of collaborativeness, of openness, friendliness, I mean, everybody works so hard and they work such long hours that it's just not worth it if you're an asshole. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Like, I think it's just, there's always somebody else who's as good as you, you know, so I mean, you like to think that you have things that nobody else brings, but it's bullshit. Like, there are always other people who could do your job. Right. Maybe not exactly the same as you, but they can do it. Right. And I think producers, given the choice of somebody who's maybe even, like, a little bit better, but a real pain in the butt, they'll go with someone who's a little less better, but is easy to work with and will get the job done with no complaint, you know? So I really try to you know, kind of make it a happy experience for people. Like I I want people to be, to enjoy the working experience. I mean, we're just making a TV show. It's not like rocket science or curing cancer. It's like, you know, it's, it should be fun and it should be enjoyable to go to work and it should be not painful to get through those 12 hours of working. And, you know, so you try to make it a nice experience for everybody and you, and, and part of that is being prepared, knowing what you want, knowing how to communicate what you want, um, and treating people well.
0: And I would imagine every actor is different how you approach them, and you kind of yeah. have to intuitively figure that out.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing that really, that, that is something you only, for me, I, I think, you really learn over time. Because, you know, as much as I, I went to film school, I had like five years of film school. And in, in five years of film school, four years in Canada, one year at AFI, I had only one course on directing actors. You know, every film school is all about, you know, the technical stuff. Yeah, this
0: camera and that camera. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: a little bit about writing. It's a little bit about history of film and aesthetics and stuff like that. But it's not really about working with actors, which is, you know, obviously probably the most important thing. Yeah. And that, you know, I really had to learn, you know, over time through exposure Mm -hmm. to actors and seeing how, you know, what works with different actors, what methods they use, what they respond to, what's helpful, what isn't helpful. You know, it just takes, you know, experience and time and sensitivity to the process to kind of you know, pick up people's cues and and realize what's going to be good for them and how to approach it.
0: I find as I get older and I watch film and TV and things like that, I'm in awe of good actors. Mm -hmm. I find what they do amazing, like, uh, like spiritual almost, like how do they do that? Like, so I don't know. What do you think of actors in general? Have you, how have your attitudes toward them or your beliefs about them evolved in the times that you've been working with them?
1: Uh, I'm still learning from actors like all the time. Like, and I, and I have to say like doing like the variety of things I've done, I'm exposed to so many different kinds of actors and so many great actors that it's, it's a, a, it's a replenishing thing. Like it just keeps, you keep learning and keep observing. And I'm always witnessing new things that are exciting. Like it's it's funny, like sometimes you get a little bit like blasé about it. You're like, oh yeah, okay, we'll just come in or we're, yeah. we're doing this. And you just assume the actors are good and that's why they're hired and blah blah blah. Right. You know, and you support them and but you but every once in a while you get like sort of like shaken out of that. You see something, and you're like, holy moly, like that's yeah. like I worked with Peter O'Toole for like one day on the Tudors. And it really you know, we worked with a lot of good actors on that show and I'd worked with a lot of good actors before, but then it was like it was like fucking Peter O'Toole and it was like and he was so great. Right. Right. And like, I was just like, you just forget you're even like making a TV show and you're like, I just got so like knocked out by what he was doing. And he was like, he was quite old and frail. And, but you know, the second he turned the camera on, it's like magic. Like the, like what he would do to a line and the humor he would find in something and how every take would be like a little bit different. And it just, all, he got all the juice out of everything you could possibly imagine And you realize, wow, that's like, you know, 60 years, 70 years of theater, of performing all the classics, of like knowing how to work with text, how to interpret material, how to, how to bring out every single possible thing out of a line of dialogue. And I was like, wow, that is like, that is a level of acting I have not experienced for a while. That is fucking amazing. And, you know, so you realize that. But then how
0: do you, do you want to tell him (laughs) that? Or do you just want to say good job? You know, you don't want to be that dude, right? No, did you have a was, moment with him after like do you
1: yeah but it was just one of those fan moments It was like yeah oh god, it was so great to work with you but yeah. it was like but he but he also like that's what amazing is someone like him, something like,
0: transcendent he, about it
1: it is there yeah it's magic and then and he and a, after a take he would say was that good or like do you want me to do something different and i'd be like oh my god it was like amazing what are you <laughs> talking about
0: <laughs>
1: yeah like he was amazing you know And I've had, you know, the good fortune to work with uh, now quite a few, like, really amazing actors. Like, the level is just so high right now. You know, on American Horror Story, Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, I mean, Sarah Paulson, they're amazing. Yeah. You're just working with such high-level people. It's just brilliant.
0: Um, When you started out, Five Senses of Stuff, character-driven, emotional, Six Uh Feet Under and stuff, when it started verging into action and stuff like that, were you like, okay, I got to get up to speed on this? Did that stuff come naturally to you? Are you? Were you like? Oh wait, I'm the guy that does mm-hmm. the other stuff.
1: Well, I w- I was really happy to kind of be perceived in a different way. Like my agent t- calls it, like you want them you want them to see you as being muscular, you know, like <laughs> because
0: I, I was <laughs> For, I do two things I dream of being of hearing first of all that I have an agent that would be one, and second of all that I I want to be perceived as muscular. Yeah,
1: yeah, because I mean, I was I did a lot of like relationshipy kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like I did cruise folk, I did. Um, you know, six feet under. Yeah. They're not know.
0: like genre, yeah, you know, they're, char- they're like character, 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 character. contemporary characters yeah. living their lives.
1: But then it was like, but I also, you know, I'm a, I have a very strong interest in the visual, you know, and, yeah. and broad canvas, uh, compositional things. Like my dad was a painter. I have, you know, visual art in my blood and my brother's a painter. I, you know, a large canvas really appeals to me and, and, you know, I'm a big, uh, cinephile and, you know, I love a big canvas. I love intimate stories, but I also love the, the big thing. So when I got opportunities, because of, you know, HBO is so great in terms of, like, if you have a... If they like you, if you have a good relationship with them, they they don't really tend to box you in in terms of what they think you can do. So What I'm getting
0: from you is that, like, once you get a relationship with a network, that, that leads to other things as opposed sure. to, like, just the producer on the show and this... It's it, all it's, of it. It's network more than... But it's all of it. it.
1: It's all of it. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, HBO can want to bring you onto a thing, but the producer also has to want you. Right. So, like, on anything, it's, like, the the creator, the producer, the network, everybody. It's kind of like a, it has to be a collective decision, usually in television, on how you get hired on things. So, But networks can really
0: have an opinion of a director and a a relationship with them. Definitely. Because sometimes you think of network people as fly-by-night, they're here and gone, um, but, but you build relationships with networks as a director. Uh,
1: definitely. So, and, and the great thing with HBO in that time and probably still is that they, like, even though I did Six Feet Under, that didn't inhibit them from saying, well, let's do Carnival. And then I did Carnival, which is more a visual canvas show with the visual effects and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then how about Rome? You know, and, and then I did Rome, which was like a whole
0: other. Talk thing. about muscular. Talk
1: about Yes. Talk about muscular. Exactly. And then the Pacific. So it was like. To me, like it was sort of like a gradual kind of building up to, you know, doing things that were first of all more expansive than period. I, did, I went through like a, a, a period of doing like tons of period shows. Yeah,
0: you've done a lot,
1: you know, a lot of that stuff, and then and then kind of quite consciously trying to do things that were a little more muscular. Yeah, like although you know Rome is pretty muscular already, but doing something like Homeland, which is really right. you know it's terrorists and CIA yeah. and you know yeah that's you know that's a little bit more contemporary muscular. So. You know, those things are all, like, for me, a bit strategic. I mean, they're great shows to do, but also they do kind of, you know, add another color to the rainbow. Yeah, you, know? you don't it's get
0: like, pigeonholed. Yeah. Yeah. Has there ever been a script that came through with a scene and you're like, how in the hell am I going to do this?
1: Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. But then, like, I'm, I'm kind of like a bit of a yeshiva student. This is how I approach things. It's right. like... You know, I just start to break it down. You know, I like, I look at it and first it's like, oh my God. And then it's like, okay, just one thing at a time. And you turn, you
0: go full yentl on it.
1: I go full yentl on it. <laughs> 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 I don't sing. But, <laughs> right. But but I do kind of like look at the Talmud and I sort of figure out how to, you know, kind of approach it one thing at a time. So my methodical Jewish brain just like starts going into it and I start to think, okay, well, this element, this element, this element, this are the, these are the story beats. This it's cause it's all really it's storytelling, right? Like even those things that are huge, there's a story within it, but right? It's not this needs to
0: happen happens. and this needs to happen. And that leads to that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you're trying you're kind of following the story and as right. you follow it, you sort of figure out how to do it, like, or how it needs to be shot to tell that story. So was yeah. there a
0: sequence that you were really proud of that you that You were overwhelmed by at first and then you, you like, you know what? That turned out great. Uh, that happens all the time actually
1: yeah. because like it, almost every show has these kind of gargantuan challenges especially yeah. these days it's like on game of thrones i had like 30 of them you know yeah. like there were many sequences where I, at first i was like wow mm-hmm. and then you know you just start to break it down and then and i just you know i cut the shows together just a few weeks ago and it's like oh yeah that, that kind of works
0: it's that that works. Like, pretty great where's the so, most surreal because on game of thrones you're dealing with sword like all kinds of stuff what's the craziest situation you found yourself in? like bring in the llama like you've probably dealt with all kinds of stuff like that like animals
1: yeah, I, rome had some of those things like we did like roman forum scenes you know yeah. like where you have like cast of thousands hundreds right. of extras it's, it's total cecil beat the mill right you got yeah. like hundreds of people and then you and the forum is like everything you got like the chicken market and the you know, and they're selling animals and they're, yeah. people are hawking things and you know, whatever, town crier, this all this other stuff going on. And like this, you know, you walk, like sometimes I was on the set on that show. That was the first time I ever did anything like that. Yeah. And I just thought, I wish everyone I knew could be here to see this because they wouldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe it. Like it was like this
0: Plus was, HBO's got the money to really do it right and, and Yeah. it seems like they really go there.
1: Yeah, it was spectacular. I was I was on the Roman forum set at cinecittà where Fellini made all those movies and oh, this legendary God. studio you know, living in Rome for that, for three months to do the show. And oh. it was like, and I remember that one day we were in the forum and we had this huge crane and we were doing this. You stuff. were
0: literally in the forum. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, the they this, built the, the they built. Yeah. It was, this, right. okay. it was the biggest set ever built at Chinichita. It was amazing, wow. Right? And yeah, the greatest artisans in the world there. Of like, course. Everything was like perfect, right? Just, and the
0: cappuccinos. <laughs> the cappuccinos must have been incredible.
1: Uh, in Italy, they only have cappuccino in the morning for breakfast, so... So
0: there, there's not that afternoon jolt that comes around. You
1: have espresso. They bring these little oh, plastic okay. cups of espresso through the day, and it's just like having like a little Oh, all
0: right. It's just crazy. another illusion shattered. <laughs> okay. So you're um, in Rome.
1: So I'm in Rome, and I'm doing this, and I'm thinking, I wish everybody I knew could be here to see this, because they would never believe it. And also, because it was so much fun. Like, it was just, it was really like being in, like, Hollywood in 1920, you know, on the set of Ben-Hur or something. And like, just hunky extras walking by all the
0: time, I bet. Yeah,
1: all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, but it was just like the scale of it was so crazy. And it was, I don't know. I just thought, I never thought. Were I there
0: would. tigers? No.
1: Uh, I don't think I ever had a tiger. No. Yeah. A lot of other things.
0: Right. Why but do other, you think you're no. good at period pieces? Is it just because you're good at directing or is there something about being able to I think, go there in your imagination? I think, again,
1: because I have a bit of a studenty kind of interest in exploring a different world. like right. I Like the research and you know, talking with a production design team and the costume people and getting all the details, right. And, you know, we have the scene, let's say where like Caesar is sitting with like eight people and So you have to have this conversation. Well, who would sit next to Caesar and who would be the next person over? And then like with the servants, how would they act in the scene? Like, would they disappear at a little point? Are they treated like furniture? Are they treated like people or, you know, like all these kind of questions about culture and, and detail. what was it like? I kind of I love all that stuff. You know, yeah. like, I really get into that. And, you know for me it's I mean, I have had a fair bit of formal education, but it 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 really appeals to the student in me and kind of you know, well also you get to learn it, it and world.
0: apply it, you get to learn it and use it in a way, yeah
1: it yeah, it's a very practical thing, yeah like it's really in service of the scene and then right. the storytelling, so it's a great way to learn and so I have that interest, and then also because I have a pictorial interest like i I love. That visual splendor, you know, like seeing something that is that, that has a kind of epic quality to it is very exciting to me. And I, because I'm, I guess at this point, not at the beginning, but at this point, I'm not intimidated by that scale. Yeah. Maybe when I, when I started doing Rome, I was really like, how am I ever me, little Jewish boy from Toronto? How am I ever going to you know do this like it just seemed I just said yes when they offered it to me but I really didn't have any idea how I was actually. Did to do it yeah
0: you were like OMG yeah <laughs>
1: and then but actually what happened when they started to send me like the set plans and everything before I got there because I never saw any of the show before I arrived in the first season to do it so I just had read a script but I saw nothing so then just before I left on my trip they sent me this gigantic portfolio from the art department of all the sets and all this kind of stuff and, and all this historical background on ancient Rome and I'm reading all this stuff and I'm like God, this is insane. Like, I can't do this. (laughs) But I had to just sort of like squelch that and like, and then think, okay, I can do this and let's figure out how to do it. And then once I did it, I realized how much I loved it. Like, you know, once you start breaking it down into its component parts, it's much less intimidating. You just figure out how to do it and you have a huge amount of support. Did you you ever like
0: full on anxiety nights, sleepless nights, worried, or or do you usually kind of manage it? I
1: mean now i don't but I, yeah in those days i'd sleepless nights all the time yeah you know I, I, all the time
0: they're gonna find yeah. me out yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> and directing is so exhausting i've just directed a few short films and it's like i remember once making a short film the day after we wrapped i felt like i'd been hit by a truck like <laughs> when you finish isn't it just like this because it's yeah. a, it's a level of physical exertion but also your mind is always thinking a million things.
1: For the first two years, I started TV directing. I got sick after every show. Yeah, I week. think your
0: body just dies, right? Yeah.
1: But that. Because but then you
0: to edit, right? You get sick after you re- edit edi- after editing after yeah. you were done.
1: Yeah, I remember like that. Queer as was the first show I did, and after yeah. that, I, I probably I I don't think I could get up off the bed for like two weeks. Yeah, there's and something then,
0: about the way it uses everything.
1: Yeah, but then it's but it's also it being new. I think it's the anxiety of you wanting to do a good job and. You know, and you're always wondering like, did I do the best thing possible? Was that the right decision to make? Was that the right thing? But then, like, as you you learn to trust your own instincts more, and you realize that actually you do know what you're doing, right? And the shows are actually pretty good, and the people keep hiring you, and they have confidence in you, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm not totally inept. I actually do know something. And then, and then probably I shouldn't be so nervous going into it. Right, I can almost exhausted coming out of it. Yeah, so calm down. Yeah, and then I got into a phase where I was like you know, feeling like pretty good about it. And then, you know, originally I would like make sure I had like a big cushion after every show before I went to the next one. Right. Because I I needed the recovery time. Right. And I was like, I don't need that recovery time anymore. That's amazing. And I'll just go back in and just keep working.
0: Was there a moment early on where you realized, I can do this? Or was it just a gradual thing? Or was there a shift? Was there like a sudden shift? I think
1: it's a series of things. Like, I think, I have to say like quite early on when I... I felt quite comfortable on set. Like I would always be nervous before getting to set. But then when I'm on the set, I'm totally comfortable. Like all the nerves go away and I'm just sort of thinking about the day and how to get things done and and communicating to people and making it good. And and when I'm in that process, I feel really good. Like I don't feel anxious. It's just all that worrying about it before and after. Did I do the right thing? That happened for a long time. But I I have to say that I felt like, you know, I, I remember even six feet under as much as it was intimidating in a way because everybody was so fabulous. I think, you know, it's something where like if people invite you into that world and they entrust you or they, they put trust in you, you you rise to that. Like, you right.
0: they must've seen something in you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, mean, you don't, I'm here for, I'm here for a reason. Yeah. And then you feel like, okay, well I can't let them down. And right. you know, probably their, their trust is well-placed um, I'm not sure why but it it is should be and you just kind of get on with it so
0: when you do all these amazing TV shows do you ever long to go shoot your own film again do you, do you long yeah. to put your something that's more personal that's yours yeah I go
1: back and forth on it like I after i had been doing this for about 6 or 7 years uh, after I made the five senses, I was really feeling like I wanted to get back in and do my own thing. And, and I made fugitive pieces. I took a year out of, which is lovely TV by directing. the way.
0: Thank I you. love that movie.
1: Thank you. Um, you were in
0: some beautiful Island too.
1: Yeah. It was shot in Idra in Greece, which was amazing. Gorgeous. Um, and Rosamund Pike starred in the movies now. Gone girl. Well. Yes. And Stephen Delane, who's in, who I got to work with again recently on game of Thrones. So right. that was great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that, I really felt at that point that I wanted to make a movie. And this movie was very, very personal to me. It was based on a Canadian novel that had a lot of resonance with my life. And I uh, it felt very, you know, personally connected to it. So that was a great experience. And then, um, and now I'm kind of feeling the hankering. Getting again. the edge again. Yeah. yeah, I didn't for a long time because, you know, the TV I'm doing is so satisfying. I mean,
0: it's the best of the best. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, and you're working with so many... Smart, interesting, talented people that it's not like I'm not creatively fulfilled. I'm quite fulfilled creatively. So, but you know, but doing a movie is a different thing. It uses different parts of your brain and psyche and, you know, and, and the movies that I've made, you know, at least up to this point, have been very personal. So, you know, they're a different kind of personal expression. So yes, I'll, I'll do it again.
0: Well, I'll look forward to it. You did the walking dead. Yes. What's it like to work with those zombies? How do you direct zombies? Uh, you know, the zombies... Do they pay attention? Are they divas? Are they difficult? (laughs) These zombies are very well behaved. Okay.
1: In Peachtree, Georgia. Okay. Where we shoot it. Um, you know, they're, the zombies are professional zombies. Like, they've been, they've They've been zombies for the whole... They've been to zombie school. Really? Yes, they have a zombie school there.
0: Wow. And,
1: you know, they're taught movement and behavioral things and...
0: It's like when you do cats, you have to learn how to be a cat. Exactly. You, the first two weeks is just licking stuff. Yeah, no, these guys are good.
1: And so they like, really
0: literally have like a zombie boot camp. Where yeah, they, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you have people on the show who've like, you know, worked with the zombie people you know, a lot, yeah. you know, yeah. over the season. So, you know, they're pretty well schooled. So the zombies are easy. You know, All right.
0: Good. I'm going to ask you some questions about your overall thing. Okay. And just come, tell me what comes to mind. What's the sexiest scene you've shot?
1: I've done a lot of sexy scenes. I think one of the most unique scenes I've done, which I, I think about a lot actually, is the scene I did for the L word. Where uh, Laurel Holloman was actually eight months pregnant at the time. And, in real life and real or life, on
0: the show? Both. Okay.
1: Yeah. So she was enormously pregnant. And um, we did the scene in the Chateau Marmont swimming pool where she was making love to her girlfriend. I remember the, that. For the first time. I was an
0: L Word fan.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. It was, yeah. was a fun show. Anyway, so uh, these two women were naked in the pool, the Chateau, and we shot the scene. And at first I was like, we're going to do like a, a sex scene with an eight month pregnant woman. This is really, you know, edgy. And, uh, you know, on that show, they like to go for it too. And, and Laurel sure. was amazing. And, uh, and the actresses were so good. And the scene was like really weirdly erotic. It was like really interesting. And I, I thought it was like kind of amazing. I remember I was in the cutting room and like somebody walked into the cutting room. We were working on the scene and it was a straight guy, like walked in the room and he looked at it and he was like, wow. Like he just, could, he could not He's like,
0: I'll be right back. <laughs> wow. That's cool. No, it was like,
1: it was sexy, but it was like, like, I don't think... I've never seen it before. I don't think I've ever seen it since. It was a really unusual and and sexy scene. So that's probably, like, the most provocative, button-pushy, interesting scene I think I've done in that regard.
0: I love it. Um, Have you ever cried watching a take?
1: Oh, my God, yes. I remember the... I actually remember the first time I... I wasn't, like, full-on cry, but my tears... Of course. Like, was um, on Six Feet Under... With uh, Claire and Ruth, her mom, and they have this. this Claire's the daughter. Claire's the daughter. Okay, and they have this big fight in the kitchen, the the iconic kitchen of Six Feet Under, and I know they just have this like big blowout, and it was like so like my heart was in my throat when they were like going at each other. Like it was all this pent up stuff that had been like kind of building. For and a you were doing time. sort
0: of long, you were doing the full scene.
1: Like, well, we actually, it was during the rehearsal. Like I just almost like started to ball in the rehearsal because they were so amazing. And, and I remember at the time I was like, the rehearsal was like, they just went for it in the rehearsal. And usually like, you don't really want the actors to kind of give it everything in the rehearsal. Cause you want to, you got to be shooting it for the next few hours. Yeah. And, but I was just like, wow, this is such a level right now that we have to shoot this in the simplest way possible because I don't want to do this over and over again. It will dilute. Right. So we just found the simplest way to shoot it. We just shot it. And it was still one of my favorite scenes. It's so beautiful. I love that. I actually had one recently on the... Oh, actually, I can't even talk about this. On Game of Thrones, there's a scene I did that was, made me cry a little bit. Really? Yes.
0: But you shake it off because you know what? You're muscular. I'm muscular. I've <laughs> got some in my eye. What was the grossest scene you ever shot? Um, blood, guts, uh, gross. Ugh. I think
1: I think the American Horror Story zombie chainsaw massacre is probably the grossest thing I've ever done.
0: <laughs> like that
1: was so crazy. Like as we were planning doing it and all the different like prosthetics and visual effects and all that, you know, body cut in half, heads chopped off, arms lopped off. I mean, it was so insane and so much blood and everything. And at the end of it, um, Teisa Armiga ends up, like, completely covered in blood. And, right. You know, it was... Uh, that is another kind of thing I thought I would never be doing in my life. Because it's, like, so not me in a way. Right. But in the context of the show, yeah. It's like, I love the show. And it was, you know, you, you just go there. But, yeah, that's probably, like, the most ridiculous. But I've also done some pretty insane, like, battle scenes. And, yeah. You know... Uh, there's there's lot a lot of squib of, like, stuff? Squibs or more. We, we did. I did one thing on the Borges actually, where... um there there was this kind of historical um cannonball gag the, there's an invention that's actually discussed in, within the body of the show where there is two cannonballs held together by a chain and they're catapulted from a cannon and the the two cannonballs spin around oh with a chain and they basically they chop people in half right when, when, or when one of these things goes into like a crowd of people it just well, just like tear them all to oh yeah so i did that <laughs> where two two of those one where a guy on a horse literally got cut in half so a lot of blood and guts on that one and then another one where it went into a crowd of people and just like body parts everywhere
0: and so. a lot of time with stuff like that everything's set up you've got like one shot like they don't want to do that 10 times because it's a whole thing right
1: uh but you, parts you have to do bits and pieces of it right
0: you plan it out and yeah. there's everyone on the team knows what they're doing yeah um what's have you ever laughed during a take Oh, yeah. And, bl- like, blown in a way that... Have you ever sort of had a laughing fit in a way?
1: Usually, I like, hold it in, like, the second you say cut, everybody bursts out laughing. Like, yeah. if I'm laughing, usually a lot of other people are laughing, too. So, yes, yeah, so I've definitely been you, in that situation. You
0: haven't done a lot of comedies. Weeds. No, but there are
1: funny things. Like, you've been six feet under. There are yeah. times where things just were laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Weeds, definitely. Stuff with Elizabeth Perkins, who's, you yeah. know, sort of comedic genius. She's great. Um... Yeah, there have been times where I'm just kind of like holding it in, holding it, holding it, and then cut, and you know.
0: I want you to work on transparent.
1: I love that show so much. Can I say how much I love that show?
0: I love it so much.
1: I just watched the last episode last night. It was fucking great. Isn't it the best? It's the best thing ever. Like to me, since Six Feet Under, it's like the best of that kind of show. It's the best thing.
0: I ran into the actress that plays the older sister, uh, Amy Showalter. She's amazing. Yeah, and this was right after I finished. binging it with some friends and I was at a writer's guild screening and she was there and it was a very casual thing. It wasn't a fancy Mm -hmm. place. It was a screening of some other movie. Mm -hmm. And she was at the snack bar and I'm like, you're my favorite actress on TV right now. And she (laughs) goes right now. And I'm like, (laughs) she was giving me a hard time, which I was funny. I was like, no, I just finished watching it. And I recounted a moment, a scene for her in the finale. I think I was like, there's a There's a face that you make when your lesbian lover says something that, my friends and I had to rewind like four times. <laughs> it's when the lesbian lover says, oh, you know, a lot of people are jealous of me or whatever. Yeah. Remember and, that line? <laughs> and do you remember her face? Amy's face? Yeah. Just this weird, like, you're so full of shit face. Like, it was so... It was like a dog perking its ears up. Yeah, she remembered it. But God, I want you to work yeah. on that show.
1: But There are not a lot of directors on that show. Jill directs almost the whole thing. Oh, all right. And Nisha Ganatra, who I know very well uh, as the other director on the show. Would you like to do more comedy? I would love it. Uh, You know, as much as I said before that you don't really get boxed in at HBO. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of that because I I tend to do so many big canvas shows. Sure. Or muscular shows, more recently. For sure. So it's, um, yeah, comedy is not the first thing that people think of for me, but I love it. And, you know, the times I've done it, I've really enjoyed it. And certain shows that are kind of on the border between drama and comedy, like Transparent or Looking or things like that, I would really like to do.
0: Oh, yeah. I'd so, love to see you on Looking.
1: Yeah, I'd like to do that, too. I
0: got that commercial song in my head for the boys, and you know, and they're all <laughs> yeah. just, I got that in my head. I talked about the most gr- gross scene. What's the most brutal thing that was like hard to shoot? Like, you know, when they do torture scenes or they do mm-hmm. things like, it's like, oh, let's just get this over with. This is hard. Hmm.
1: God, I don't know. Uh, I've done a lot of, like, weirdly, I've burned people to steak, I think, five times on five different shows.
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's always tricky. Yeah, if you need somebody uh, to burn some of the steak, yeah, literally, a, you start a, fire. How do you do it? Is it do they have stuff on their legs so they don't really burn?
1: Um, well, a lot of times it's visual effects. You're doing smoke, not really, yeah. or the fire is far away from them, but using shooting through longer lenses so it looks like it's right on top of them, or or there's a ring of fire that's not yeah. you know not really hitting them, um, but and then you have a stunt guy in there and you set that on fire.
0: Yeah. Have you ever had a crush on one of your actors that's like? Or actresses, like, you know what I mean, where you get a yeah. little, like, giddy? Because I just know from directing my little films, I kind of fell in love with my actors a little bit. Like, I get, yeah. especially when you're editing them, and they're, like, I did.
1: I um, get talent crushes. Yeah. Like, somebody's so good, I'm, like, in love with them. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a fair bit, actually. When yeah. When you're working with great actors, you're just like, oh, my God, I just, like, want to work with you forever. Um, But romantic crushes, no. No. That doesn't happen.
0: Or somebody that's just so sexy, you can't even handle it. I'm
1: trying to think if there is. Has- uh, I can, uh, not so much that I can't handle it,
0: but you can handle, it. you can, you can handle it. Yeah. Okay. You've worked on all these amazing visual shows. Have you ever taken anything home with you as a souvenir? Like somebody's head, for example, or, uh,
1: no, that's, or one
0: eyes. of those cannonball things. Or... No,
1: I never take anything. Home. I, sometimes I'm gifted with something like, uh, when I did the Pacific, we built a house for the, for one of the scenes um a sequence in the in the show that was a show that didn't do anything small like we needed a, like a, a cabin or a cottage or whatever it didn't exist they built it so they built this beautiful house in the countryside in australia and and on the set there was a paint that you know they they just do great you know kind of detail stuff so there was a painting of the house in the house that was a prop you know and so at the end of the show, the art department gave me that, that painting of the house that they, there was a nice inscription on the back. And so I still have that. And that was a lovely thing to get.
0: That's very lovely. Yeah. It was
1: beautiful. Um, so yeah, I felt like, you know, people are giving me different things. From yeah. Different shows. And I, I would cherish those things.
0: I love that. I
1: have actually from six feet under they had, since I was there on the last season, they had a set sale and. I oh bought,
0: my God. You went to the set sale of the set six sale feet under. I, I got a lot of you stuff. You can bid six on a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, that was so great. So I, my house is full of stuff from six feet under.
0: Really? Anything? Yeah. Well, we'll have to. Sh- you'll have to show me something afterwards, and I will take a picture of those it and post right it. Behind
1: you, see those vases behind yeah. you? Yeah, they were in Ruth's. House. Yeah,
0: they're from Ruth's house. Yeah, they're lovely. <laughs> very tasteful. Very, si- you know, si- restri- reserved and tasteful. Oh, yeah, that's very Ruth. <laughs> that's so cool.
1: Yeah, I guess. Do you ever get over.
0: wardrobe? Do you uh, ever get like, ooh, that leather jacket?
1: The only time I ever got wardrobe was I worked um, many, many years ago before I was directing a lot uh, straight out of film school. I got a job working on David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. And I, um, I bought some wardrobe off that movie.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Was there something you Irons remember? Um, Jeremy Irons wore it before? Yeah. Do you want to hear a very <laughs> random story? There's a store in North Hollywood called, North Hollywood called It's a Wrap. And they uh-huh. sell like a thrift store, but it's all stuff from shows and movies. Uh-huh. There was once a Baywatch rack. Mm -hmm. And I bought a red swimming suit, a red Speedo. (laughs) And in the tag, it said D-H.
1: Fantastic. Dennis Hensley,
0: (laughs) David Hasselhoff.
1: Brothers under the skin.
0: Brothers under the skin, (laughs) literally. I don't know if I ever wore it. I was just like, I kind of think I have to have this. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think of, you know, you're in this world, there's so much going on. I know people that work in the business are like, don't gossip. It's bad to do it. Mm -hmm. But you hear, what's your philosophy about that? Because there's so much intrigue going on. It's such an interesting business. There's so many interesting personalities. Mm -hmm. Is part of maybe what makes someone successful an ability to not
1: dish the dirt? I think it will always bite you in the ass. Right? I'm a big fan of not doing that right um I th- the only time I ever will talk candidly about things is like if I know somebody's about to work with somebody and they really want to know what it's like right I will be you know kind of careful but Candid If I can Just to help That other person Sure And do you have People
0: help you In that way Yeah totally This actor likes It this way Or yeah yeah, yeah, Be careful about
1: Exactly yeah I mean I think That's where it's More collegial You know And it's in the Spirit of sharing Information that's useful And it's in
0: in the Spirit of making The show go as Smoothly as you can
1: Yeah it's not about Like oh this person's A jerk or whatever It's more just about This is what you Should know going in And
0: you know What is your Director's toolkit Like what do you Have on you When you're doing it Do you have like (laughs) Apps on your phone That you like Or do you need your certain Drink or do you like?
1: No, I'm super. First of all, I'm super low tech. I'm also really low maintenance. Yeah, like I do rock a
0: baseball cap. No, that's so that's that's so (laughs) that would be way more muscular. Telling you,
1: somebody actually is really funny that you say this because I like when I did Game of Thrones, I went on that and like they they give you a director's assistant, which you don't normally get on most shows because you know, yeah. You know, so I expected to not need one. It's HBO. But, yeah. But, and it's game of Thrones. So right. there's a lot of stuff going on and you're living in Belfast and there you got life things to worry about and yeah. apartments and things. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so you have an assistant to help you with all that stuff. So when I got there, they're like, do you need anything? And I was like, not really, you know? And they're like, really? Like, you know, and I was like, no, like, like I can shop and get things and you know, so like I'm super amazed. But then like I hear, like so I just read the other day about a director on a, on another show and somebody who is an assistant said to me, well, like they called up ahead of time and just said, this is how I like my coffee. I expect to have this at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like all this. Kind of, I'm just so not that You're guy. not
0: that guy. They, yeah. they, they, literally had a writer like JLo would have.
1: It wasn't a writer. It was just like, just, you got to know this going yeah. Like, this is what I expect. This is what I need. This is what I want. You know? And I'm like, whatever.
0: How many questions do you get asked today as a director? Gazillions, right?
1: 800,000. Yeah. And,
0: five. and do you think part of the job is being decisive?
1: Yes, it
0: is. Instead of, do you want the black one or the white one? White one.
1: Yes, all day long.
0: Right. It's better to yeah. be like, even if you're not quite sure, you've got to decide in that moment. But do you I find that you usually know? Usually I know. I have my limited experience directing the things. Whenever anyone had a question, I knew what I want. I knew the answer. Yeah. I didn't go, mm, why don't we do No, I was like, no.
1: I think the thing is that if you if you are like confident like 99% of the time, you can afford to be not confident one percent of the time right because there are occasionally there is something where like let's say there's a location or something and i'm not sure if it's exactly the right place and i'm trying to wrap my brain around it like i might just say "Mm, i'm not sure let's see what else is out there or let me think about it for a little bit and then i'll you know but you know 99.9 percent of the time it's like a or b a A, know i
0: know yeah I love it. It's like you almost see you as a tracking shot walking through. Yes. The red one. Go. You know, like, like you want to follow you for a day and just see what that's like.
1: Yeah. That's like a singing in the rain moment or something.
0: Exactly. Have you ever wanted to create your own show to be like a producer director and definitely. Yeah. 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 What would it be like? Would it be a drama? Would it be period? Would it be, you know, it's interesting
1: because I I think whatever it is, it would have to be something that would be personal to me and Mm -hmm. would kind of draw on personal things. Um, to me, like, that's the most, like, transparent. That's Jill's yeah. life, right? That's right. why it's so great. Six Feet Under was Alan Ball's life. Right. I think the most successful television and the kind that speaks to me, which means it's funny, it's moving, yeah. it's, it's personal, it's intimate, it's, you know, relatable. You know, that's my kind of show, really. I direct every kind of show. Right. Many kinds of shows. But that's what speaks to me the most. Probably would be something in that you know arena, sure, but I also love a canvas, you know, like I said, so you know doing something that has a world is really interesting to me too.
0: I love that now you queerest folk early on l word early on, did you ever feel like sometimes it can be hard for gay artists to sort of break beyond that. Did you have any struggle with that, or was that ever an issue, or did you um... no, I was
1: just so lucky because, like at queerest folk, I did, and then like before I even finished that show, I got the call about six feet under it happened right. like that that. And six feet under was so
0: that's a game changer,
1: yeah, it was a game changer, so then like you know i no i didn't re- re- i didn't encounter any kind of resistance at all like once once I did six feet under the you know the world was open
0: I love know? that now was there you've been working pretty steadily since then, were there ever lulls in there where i don't know something happened or the phone didn't ring for a while or Please tell me you had a little bit of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm fishing here for for for, 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 for the for some sad story. I don't know what, uh, you know.
1: I don't think there was like... No, in fact, like weirdly kind of the opposite. Like there was when I took off a year to do my movie. I th- yeah. I actually did think, I wonder if it's all going to dry up. Like once yeah. you're gone. Like, yes, I was getting a lot of calls before. But then you're just saying no to everything for a year because you're off in a black hole doing something else. And I wasn't... Were your this? reps cool with that? Well, yeah, at the time, because yeah. I just, that's what I wanted to do. You right. Know? And so, uh, and I wasn't doing like a studio movie. I wasn't in LA. I was in right. Canada and Greece doing this like movie. Yeah, you
0: a, were off the grid.
1: I was off the grid and doing an, a, a real indie, right. you know, foreign movie. And so, you know, I thought, what if I come back and there's just nothing, you know? Yeah. And but then I came back and like in five seconds I was working again. Like yeah. after a year. So it was I like, love that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's good. It was good. good. It was
1: a lesson for me because I at the at the time I just thought, I don't know if I can afford to do this kind of thing career-wise. But then right. I realized, yes, I can. And you should and in fact it's better for you to replenish yeah. and have different life experiences and different creative experiences. And yeah. you can bring that to your work and that makes you much better.
0: Now part of what I read about you online and your bio is that when you were coming up in film school, you would crew on your different Friend you would crew for different friends and their movies yeah. and stuff like that. What kind of jobs would you do on crew everything
1: not everything i'm not good at everything <laughs> right the things i 'm actually i 'm very not good at technical things like right. i if I had to be a cameraman or a sound guy i can 't do those jobs right. I really i don't have the skills yeah. to do those but um what I did like Adam McGoin is an old who directed The Sweet Girl. Right, London, and I, I loved Exotica. And Exotica. Yeah, he's a very close friend of mine, and he was, in, he was in one film school when I was in another film school in Toronto, and we had mutual friends, and we became friendly. So the first um, feature movie called Next of Kin that Adam directed straight out of film school, which was made for $60,000, I think, um, I was the production manager on it. Right. So I was good at organizing and stuff like that. So yeah. me and a... And the, a yentl,
0: other... the Yentl skills came in handy. Exactly.
1: So, right. so I did that, and then I worked for a little bit as an assistant editor yeah. on movies. And then eventually I worked as a unit publicist, on, not on my friends' – actually, on some of my friends' films, actually. But I started to get work on studio movies that were shooting in Canada as a unit publicist. And that was I, – I just sort of fell into that completely right. by accident. But um, it ended up being a very good thing for me because unlike every other crew job, you can come and go in and out. And as long as you do the job, everybody's happy. And So I wasn't there like 14 hours a day slaving away on the show. I right. was just kind of flitting in and out and doing my thing. And you have access to all the key creative people on the show, you know, the director, the producer, the writers, you know, the, the actors that, you know, you're interviewing all of them and arranging interviews for them and writing the press kit and all that kind of stuff. So that was like, for me, that was a very good kind of part-time job while I was trying to get my own movies together.
0: Right. And probably an education on how all the different things work. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Something else I read online was that your father was a painter mm-hmm. and the only one of his immediate family to survive the Nazis. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Wow. Mm-hmm that's that must have been um, informed his art informed your art informed everything yeah
1: for sure I mean it informed my entire worldview. I think and um, and that actually is what inspired me to make the second film Fugitive Pieces the third film that I made actually which was uh, based on this novel uh, by Ann Michaels about a um, a man who has who survived the war as a young child uh, was the sole survivor of his family and, uh, and how he dealt with that over the whole course of his life and how it affected his relationships with different women, one of whom was Rosamond Pike and, um, that there was a yellow tour. And, uh, and that was very, very much, you know, really about my father. Like it was, that's why I really wanted to make that film. It was kind of like a gift to my dad in a way. Did he see it? Oh yeah. What yeah, did he yeah. think of it? Oh, he was very, very moved by it. Very affected by it. Did yeah, you show scary. him
0: in a theater or did you do the like video or like, what was um, the moment like?
1: He came to the premiere, we were the opening night film at the Toronto Film Festival and that's when he saw it the first time. Oh my
0: <laughs> God, no pressure. No, no pressure. Pressure. This is for you, dad. <laughs> Smile for E. Like, wow, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was a
1: fairly big deal.
0: That is a fairly big deal.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was a very profound experience.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, you picked mm-hmm. a few random questions from my observation deck. Uh, let's, let's ask, which one do you want to talk about?
1: Uh, what's the worst job you ever had? Okay. Um, worst job job and then worst directing job. I worst, love it. Both. Worst job job was working in a shoe store when I was in high school. Yeah. There's nothing like working in a shoe store, a ladies shoe store.
0: So you're squeezing women's feet into shoes all day. Yeah.
1: for some reason, all women think their feet are a size smaller than they actually are.
0: <laughs> Even about the feet. They're like, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's always a huge thing. Wow. They're like, yes, I'm a nine. Like I'm a nine. You're 11.
0: <laughs> that is no, really nine.
1: interesting. That is fascinating human nature. It man.
0: is, because you would think yeah.
1: with feet they could let that go. You could like, think. Just, your foot is your foot. They will squeeze into a nine. Really? Yeah, totally.
0: And it's so interesting. <laughs> That's really, you, you have to put a scene like that in your show that you create. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and Worst Directing Job.
1: Worst Directing Job was the one time, and I'm, I'm happy to say that only, it's the only time I've ever done this, where I, I agreed to do a job on a show that I didn't really love. And it was one of those things where I, 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 there was a certain point early on where I thought maybe I'm being too snobby about what I'm doing. Like I, I was only doing HBO and Showtime. When right. I was like, and I thought, and I was very particular about what I did. I yeah. thought like, you know, the, the resume has to be like perfect. Yeah. Like not perfect, but like a real reflection of who I am. If I do things that are not uh, what yeah. I believe in, then I think people perceive me as somebody who does this kind of thing. And that's not, not how I want to be perceived. But, you know, but I have lots of director friends and they direct everything. And I have no judgment about people yeah. directing anything. Like, what's wrong with that? But I, for, re, for some reason for myself, I was very snobby about what I would do or wouldn't do. Right. But there was a show that shot in Toronto and I was living in Toronto at the time. And I hadn't worked in Toronto in, like, ages. And I really wanted to just be in, in my home in Toronto. And, you know, and they had asked me numerous times and I always said no. And then finally I was just like, well, what's the big deal? Why don't I just say yes? Like, yeah. who cares? Like, no one will ever even. Know. Right. This is like why am I being so high and mighty? Yeah, it was the early days of IMDB and I yeah. thought nobody I don't have to tell anybody I ever did the show, nobody will ever know. Of right. course, like five seconds later, it is on the internet. Right. But then it was like I just thought first of all I thought, A, who's who's gonna know? Yeah. Second, who cares? I right. don't judge anybody else, why would they judge me? Right. And then third, it's like well, why be so snobby? It's like anything's yeah, you know, whatever, and there's always a reason to do something. And you know, there were nice people involved and and whatever, and it was in home and I thought, okay, you know, I'll just do it. But it was a terrible creative experience. And i it was really like a huge learning thing for me, which was that, you know, you you can only be as good as the people that you're working with. And if you're not working with, like, if you have the option, I mean, if some, you don't have the option, you don't have the option. But if you, if you can hold out and work for the higher caliber people, it, it will just elevate you to such a degree and you'll learn more and your work will be better and everything about it is better. And this was, was a very tough experience working with people that were not creative and were in fact, anti-creative in a certain way. Like they're very stuck in their way of doing things. It was very hard to get them to kind of like open up and see things a little more interestingly. And there's a a strong streak of of conservatism in it. And I I was so used to at that point being with people who really encouraged creativity and were really welcoming to ideas and, you know, and working in a place that didn't do that, it was like really kind of punishing. So I, that was like the, the object lesson for me. It was like, don't ever do that again. I mean, I never have. And, and that's, that was great. I learned my lesson.
0: What's something you know now that you wish you would know when you were first starting out? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you can
1: know everything. In high right. Like the, what I.
0: Sometimes you, I look back and I think, I'm so glad I was so naive. I didn't know better. I didn't know how hard, you know, like I did. Yeah. There was something youthful about. My ignorance that, that made something happen or got a door, if I would known, I wouldn't have I think, yeah, it. I think
1: the thing is like when you're young, I, I don't know where I got this attitude, but for me it was just like, it was the little voice inside my head was just like, just say yes. Even like, even if you have fears about something or you yeah. think, like Rome or whatever, like I didn't think I, I didn't know how I was ever going to direct a show like that, but I was asked and I just said yes. And so the, you know, that I don't know if I would do that now. <laughs> I mean, maybe now I would, but you know. I was happy for the naivete of youth. Yeah. Of just, like, thinking, well, I'll figure it out somehow. Yeah. And, and I did. But, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm glad I, I had that kind of, like, brash recklessness. Yeah. Just say yes. To just say yes.
0: I love it. All right. Yeah. Are there some other questions?
1: Um, where's the coolest place you've gotten to go to for work? I think Rome for Rome was definitely one of the coolest. Uh, recently, Croatia for, um, for uh, Game of Thrones was... Fabulous. Beautiful. I really loved that. Split Croatia. And Greece from my movie, Fugitive Pieces, Idra. That was I love it. pretty amazing.
0: And then you're just... Yeah. But you're sort of cut off, too. So you can kind of... It's like your own little world. In yeah. A
1: way. I mean, shooting on location is one of the great things ever. Like, uh, especially if you're in a fabulous location. Shooting in Australia on the Pacific was amazing. I was there for seven months.
0: Yeah. That
1: was like a life-changing experience. It was really great.
0: In what ways?
1: Um, the scale of that show... Like, even having done Rome and like a lot of other things, the Pacific was another whole level. Like it was just massive and like the detail on the sets that they built and the production value, the visual effects, the, the number of extras, the complexity of the scenes. Like it was just, everything was just like, you know, times a thousand. Like it was right. just huge scale Like every day.
0: And how many episodes did you do? Uh, three, three out of 10. ten. Wow. Yeah.
1: Originally I was only gonna do one and then that went well and then they asked me to do another one and then that went well and they asked me to do another one. And it was That was Tom
0: Hanks' company, right? Yeah, Playtone. Right on. Playtone
1: Dreamworks, it was like the It was NHBO was the trifecta of, you know, huge fabulousness.
0: Wow. So
1: uh yeah, it was a it was a major experience. And you know, I was living in Melbourne for seven months and that was it was great. I loved it.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. All right, what else you got?
1: Uh what's your favorite bad movie? um i guess it's a bit of a cliche but probably valley of the dolls is my favorite bad movie
0: it's, it's, it's delivers it's great it delivers,
1: and it's intensely watchable you like i, I defy anyone to like start watching that movie for five minutes and then stop you just can't
0: you can't you got to watch the whole thing you got
1: to watch the whole thing
0: what do you remember seeing what how do you remember do you remember a moment when you were a kid where you sort of fell in love with this world and you thought the, the way you look back and you go okay i was going to be a director
1: I didn't know I was going to be a director because that came a little bit later. And I, you know, I grew up in Canada. I didn't know anybody in the film business or in show business. Like it didn't
0: seem like it something was that so was, remote. Yeah.
1: Like it was just another universe, but I loved movies and my dad was a big cinephile. So like we used to go to art house, you know, films together, like European films and, and all that. Um, but I remember like, for some reason, the, the biggest movie, influential movie thing for me was The Wizard of Oz which my my birthday is January 5th, and it used to be on around my birthday, around New Year's, every year on television. This is before DVD, VCRs, blah, blah, blah. Right, you had to be there. Yeah, you had to be there. And The Wizard of Oz was on every year around that time of year, and so I used to associate it with Christmas, New Year's, my birthday. And, um, And I watched it, like, every year, and I'd, like, wait for it to come around. And that movie was just magic to me. Like, to me, that was, you know, the music, the performances, the style of the movie, like, everything about it. Was I think it, I had a black and white TV when I I didn't even know that it moved to color. That's so funny. Years. When so, did you?
0: You must have. It must have blown it, your mind. It Blew
1: my mind when I realized that most of the movie was in color. But
0: that's amazing.
1: But I love that movie so much. Tell was, that
0: story when you win an Oscar or whatever <laughs> during the press run. That's a great story.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. just I'll feel I'll be like Methuselah telling yeah. a story before DDRs <laughs> before yeah. color yeah. televisions. You know. But uh, yeah, I think that really made me aware of, like the magic of movies, right? Um, and then I became like much more you know sophisticated as a film goer. So like all kinds of other movies, you know, had impact. I just
0: on saw Force Majeure. Have you seen that movie?
1: I love that movie so much. I want to talk about it with somebody. That's the best movie ever. That is the best movie of the year, I think.
0: I was it, first of all, so many interesting ideas. And such interesting visuals, it's both gorgeous and the performances. One is just so astonishing great. scene after another. I know. Okay, George we'll talk Arthur. about it after maybe love for it. a bit. Yeah, yeah, I just saw it the other night. It's so good.
1: One of the actors from Game of Thrones is in that movie. Yeah. Uh, so he actually sent it to me, and I, I saw it. Uh, Which a few months ago? What,
0: I don't watch Game of Thrones, so who is uh, he Game he's the He plays Tormund.
1: He's the wildling with the big red beard. Oh
0: yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. he's great. Yeah, yeah, fabulous guy. I love it. Yeah. Do you as a as a. Um, TV director, you don't cast much. Or you do, like, for the those roles for that episode.
1: Yeah, you cast for any role that... It, it could be an ongoing role, that, but if it starts in your episode, you get to cast that person.
0: Yeah. Do you um, enjoy it?
1: Casting? I love casting.
0: I do. Yeah. I, I would imagine.
1: It's great because, like, something comes alive. And I, I, some of my best experiences... Rain Wilson in Six Feet Under. Yeah. Which was his big break, actually. Right. Um, we cast him. And he was... Uh, my episode was the first episode he appeared in. And to me, that was one of the great experiences, like seeing somebody who did such an amazing audition and it was so clear that he was the best person for that job. And then to see him go on to great success after that and realizing that you had a tiny little part to play in it was very gratifying. You know, I just loved that he had this fabulous career after doing that. I
0: love that. Are there any more questions that we didn't talk about? We talked about the souvenir.
1: What movie have you seen more than any other? Uh, Oh God, there's a few. There's, there were periods in my life where, um, well, one, was crazy. I went on this, like... In high school, we went on this weekend, and they uh, would go off to, like, some kind of cabin resort thing. It was a high school... I can't explain it, but it was a Jewish high school thing. I love and, it. So we used to go off for the weekend. They had a movie night, and we had a copy of Singing in the Rain, and like a 16 millimeter Yeah. ...with a projector and projected onto a sheet or whatever. I love it. And we stayed up all night, and we watched it over and over and over again the entire night. It's like from, like...
0: You and who, all your camp kids boys yeah. and girls
1: yeah whoever stayed up like we all had sleeping bags and they like, yeah. just played the movie over and over again and i probably watched that movie like 10 times in the one night That's, it's not
0: as long as you think because it seems seems like a classic it's like yeah. 90 minutes it's not i i watched it recently on my birthday at an outdoor screening not it's on so a sheet great. but
1: yeah it's like it's one of the most joyful movie experiences so it's perfect yeah and then you know i think for all like the kids that i went to high school with they weren't into musicals and blah blah, blah. i think it was kind of a revelation like how great that movie was and so we just watched it like over and over and over again. So that was
0: fun. What a fun memory.
1: Yeah, that was great. Yeah.
0: What's your favorite part of your job? Is there a moment in the process that's like, oh, this is the part I love the most?
1: Uh, I think when the camera's rolling and the actors are doing something fabulous, that's that's the magic
0: part. And you're capturing it.
1: And you're capturing it. And you're watching the monitor and you just see how great the, mo- the moment is, is realized. Um like when, the, when it's the right shot, the camera's in the right place, the actors are doing exactly the right thing. The script is good. That's just like, that's very exciting. But I also love, I love the editing room. You know, when you're putting it together because, you know, assemblies are always a bit rocky. Like when you're shooting, the editor puts an assembly together yeah. and they show it to you. before. Everyone you
0: says that first, that assembly is, makes you want to kill yourself. Yeah. You're just
1: like, Oh my God, it's never going to work. <laughs> and then, but then you start to work on it and you start to hone the scenes and you pick things, moments you remember that weren't in the, in this cut. And, you kind of put it all together, and then it's like, oh, shit, wow, that scene just really sings. It's great. And then you see the whole show coming together, and then that's very satisfying to see see everything take shape and see it in the best version it can be in, you know,
0: Well, also scene. for TV, it has to be 44 minutes or whatever it is. It's not like a film where it can be yeah. 90 to 100 minutes. Like, you yeah. have to...
1: And cable, you have a bit of latitude. Yeah. Like with HBO in particular, yeah. you maybe have like a five-minute kind of Thing. You know, wiggle room.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Here's my final question, I think. Do you ever do this with your hands when you're directing? Or is that a cliche? I'm doing the framing hands. I've
1: done it once or twice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if it helps, it yeah. helps.
1: Yeah, sometimes like just you're like... Eh. Yeah. yeah. You do Good. that. Good, you do it.
0: Yeah, because yeah, it helps. You look like an
1: idiot or ponce or whatever, but you All do right.
0: It. <laughs> well, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing your adventures with us. Thank and you. I'm so impressed with you and so proud of you. Uh, and get out of here. I think you're awesome. I'm trying to remember, you're we awesome. met in Toronto. Yeah, I think we did. I'm trying to remember if I was there for my book tour or why I was there. I think I was there for mm-hmm. the book tour. and We met through Mutual Toronto and Friends. Yes, I think we did. Warren yes, Dunford, yes, does that yes, sound right? Uh, yes, that sounds He exactly listens right. to the podcast. Oh Cool. Hi, Warren. Hi, Warren. <laughs> um, I know. Thank you, Warren, for putting us together. Yes. Thanks, Warren. It would have been like 2002 or something like that.
1: Oh, my God. I can't remember that far back. But, yes, yeah. I do kind of remember that.
0: I remember eating at a restaurant. It was lovely. No doubt. And now you're here. And here we are. Do you, go, do you go home much to Canada, or are you pretty much here?
1: Um, I go back when I can. You know, my mother's yeah. still there, and my brother and sister are there, and their family. So uh, I like to go back. Yeah. But it's, you know, sometimes it's a
0: bit tough. Awesome. But well, we'll try. Thank you so much, and um, watch every show that Jeremy directs, because you already are anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. My thanks again to Jeremy Pideswa. If you want to check out his work, you probably don't have to do anything because you watch it every night on your television set. But I would encourage you to seek out his movies, Fugitive Pieces, Eclipse, and The Five Senses. They're terrific. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to encourage you again to go to DennisAnyone.net. And if you happen to be listening for the first time, I hope you subscribe. This is the kind of stuff we like to do here. Talk to creative people about how they do their thing. So... I hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. Uh, it was I could talk to him all day. I, I probably forgot shows that, that I could have brought up and didn't. And if you want to go to DennisAnyone.net, I took some pictures of the furniture and like uh, housewares and stuff that he got from six feet under, so you can see them, and they're very six feet under, and they're fun to see. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone.